welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Hello and welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast dedicated to exploring the world of innovative in-house legal teams and trailblazers in the field of legal leadership. I'm your host, Cynthia Loren, and today we're joined by Chris Grant, Head of Legal Engagement at HSBC, the largest Europe-based bank by Total Assets headquartered in London. Chris is an established legal operations leader with experience both in private practice and in-house, covering legal operations and external law firm panel management. He's also a regular speaker on law tech and on the evolution of the legal industry. So, Chris, welcome to the show. It's wonderful to have you as my guest today. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Chris, could you introduce yourself to to our listeners and tell us a little bit about the role that you're currently doing at HSBC? Sure. Like it's a, it's an interesting one. It doesn't the title doesn't give much away in terms of what I do, but ultimately, it's looking after what is probably the most significant part of the legal spend, the external spend. So making sure that we're thinking about and we're making the right decisions when it comes to sending work externally. So very much a crossover. It's, it sits within the kind of typical chief operating officer function, so the COO function, all about thinking, therefore, how we best use our internal resources. But then there's that crossover. What happens when we can't do things internally? Who should we be approaching? So my remit is to therefore look at that. Who are the suppliers that we work with? How do we make sure we put the right commercial arrangements in place with them? And how do we make sure that we continue to actively track and monitor that spend? Wow. So a very broad role. And I know that kind of before getting to this, you were Barclays and then you were NRF Consult. Can you talk us a little bit through the journey? Where have you been? Where have you come from? How have you gotten here? It's an interesting interesting journey. I'll try to make it as small nutshell as possible. I started following a legal path. So it was a legal career that I followed and started working um, in international law firm or in the Magic Circle firms. And I loved what I was doing, but I got frustrated because I could always see ways of doing things a little bit quicker um, using technology even back then to do things a little bit smarter. But of course, and this was not just that firm that I worked at, of of any firm at that point, you weren't really having conversations about how to do things in less time because we're billing by time. So therefore, that's a reduction in in overall revenue coming in if you're not billing on on time. Um, You didn't really get as far as having a conversation about, well, I could do more work. So I could do more clients and service more clients. So it it was a great experience, but something that, like I say, I found frustrating because I'm naturally always thinking about how I could be, I think there's a bit of me who's maybe lazy. I like to think about how I could do something quicker. And I'll still do the work, but I like to bring efficiencies to it. So I left, I moved and I went went to work in-house at Barclays Capital which at the time was just implementing CRO roles within the functions. So had built out a CRO function within the legal team there and then. And that's where I started to feel a bit of a home. I found a home because we were very much focused on how to run the organization as a business. There was the financial crisis, there was mergers, obviously the layman acquisition. And suddenly all of the conversations were about how can we be smarter in terms of the way that we work. There was still the the cost pressure within within legal So and, and very much being driven from the top. We had to think about how we were contributing to making the organization more efficient. So I suddenly found a home. I was able to talk about how we could be bringing 
bringing technology to the table, how we could be restructuring ourselves. Even back in the day, there was talk of using alternate legal service providers to help us do some of our derivatives work. So all of those initial conversations suddenly had a, 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 a place to, to be had. I carried on doing lots of COO roles all within Clues at the time. But then it became interesting because the focus shifted. Suddenly we were able to have that conversation that the cost of legal is not just the internal cost of legal. You play with headcount, your external spend will increase. And that seesaw became very clear to a lot of people. So that focus then shifted on our external firms and who we were working with, which was very traditional relationships, not necessarily thinking about how we could partner more effectively, certainly not thinking about alternative fee arrangements or more effective fee arrangements. And that's where I spent the next few years was actually working to build that out and change the way that we worked with our law firms. I went off on another tangent after that, went to go and work at Barclays Ventures and built out the Barclays Eagle Lab, LawTech Eagle Lab. So a set of incubators that Barclays got up and down the UK with particular industry focuses starting to come to the fore. And I built out the LawTech one, which I did for a number of years before then leaving to go and consult on my own. So I started working with the startups, with in-house legal teams and with law firms on a mix of just how to run organizations, run businesses, set yourselves up for success and also working through technologies. That took me on a path that led me back into a law firm. So I, I, as you say, I went to Norton Rose, was part of their legal operations consulting group, which also took me over to HSBC, where I found myself pulled back into working with our external suppliers again, which is where I am now. So um, fundamentally, again, trying to change the way that we work. It's really interesting that you sort of, you know, working in a law firm, you had this desire to sort of do things in a more efficient, um, smarter way. Did you find that in moving in-house, that's the reality? Like, is it that, you know, in-house teams are more open to technology, are more efficient without being disparaging about the law firms? I'd love to get your, love to get your view on that. <laughs> Look, I think there's, there's, it all depends on where you are. But I've certainly, you know, I've worked with two in-house legal teams now and a number of law firms. I think it all comes down to the people. You will find that there are innovators within both of those organisations, be it private practice or in-house, that are willing to or wanting to do something different and looking for ways of doing things differently. What changes is the kind of ears that you've got around you that will help to make that a reality. There's definitely some in-house teams that will help you find that platform or the opportunity to be able to try some of those things out. I'm pretty certain there are others that won't. And likewise, likewise with law firms, they will help to build you a platform that you're able to find ways of innovating and changing and doing things. That's relatively new. I don't think that's something that's, that's always been there. It's come through in the last few months and ye well, certainly years. But th there will still be, and there are always going to be this layer of lawyers and legal leaders that don't necessarily embrace or adapt to the change as quickly as they maybe should. I think I've been very lucky in that I've worked with an amazing group of people who have been very innovative and very forward thinking and are challenging us in terms of what the legal industry looks like and how legal work should be done. And I'm seeing more and more of those people kind of coming together. I mean, one of the things that we hear quite a lot when you're sort of talking about the legal industry is that broadly, whether in-house or on the private practice front, we're all very cautious. You know, we're all a bit conservative, be it about change, be it about tech. Is that your take? And has that 
changed, do you think, in the time that you've been in the industry? Um, look, there is that the starting point of risk aversion. I mean, that's what we're trained to be. And it's it's your first default thought. You look at the situation, you look at the problem that's in front of you, and you immediately identify the issues and the challenges with it without necessarily also balancing that out with, well, here's also the opportunity that could come on the other side. So it is the default position. And I think there is a change in that the, the, the clients are asking for more, certainly from our perspective. And I think about HSBC, and I know from my time at Barclays as well, and also my time working uh, back with the, the Legal Operations Consulting Group at Norton Rose, clients were coming, asking for more. It's no longer fine to just deliver services the way that you always used to do it we know that you're great at the legal the technical capabilities that you have and your legal expertise that doesn't massively vary between firms firms will disagree with me they've got very much they've got experts within their ranks and surely they do but also everybody's able to deliver kind of services and also lawyers can move it's all about how you're able then to convert that into a good level of customer service that brings more to the client than what they thought was capable. Technology is part of that. Bringing efficiencies to the way of working is part of that. Thinking about how you can price more appropriately, thinking more about the output than the input that goes into doing that work. How much does that work? What value does the client associate with that work? What value does the law firm associate with that work? And can we meet in the middle in terms of how we therefore start to price it? So that it's been a slow change. I've seen it really pick up over the last few years i think firms are listening there's also the challenge of alternate legal service providers coming into the equation that are offering a different service and are already set up in a different way to be able to price more effectively they're not bound by things like the hourly rate that also changes the way that fundamentally financial reporting is done internally and the way that you are measuring success for the people within your organization so they're able to be a bit more flexible in terms of their approach so it very much is that has now changed the playing fields changed a little and everybody's now starting to play a bit more catch up yeah yeah i mean it does feel like there is change but it's incremental and I, as an industry we, we we do tend to move slowly but we are we're moving in the right direction so let's play a bit of an imagination game if you chris grant could wave a magic wand and change three things about the legal industry what what would they be <laughs> That's that's a big that's a big question. It's, it's hard. I mean, for me, the hardest part there is narrowing it down. The three things, the three that speak to you the most. You know, whether the the, the 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 sort of end the tail end the training right at the start, or actually, you know, how it functions. You choose. Yeah. Look, I think there is. We have to have a mindset to the training without a shadow of doubt. If we're not bringing things in, bringing lawyers a different way, they're really going to, to to struggle to catch up with the direction of travel that certainly the clients are going and what they want to do. And ultimately, I guess if I was to really talk about it in, in a terms of what I want to see is anything that is going to help facilitate that change in the way that we work, right? It's fundamentally accepting that the industry and legal industry is in its current state is not fit for purpose and is certainly not fit for its future purpose as well. So how do we therefore embrace that and get ahead of the curve? The world will change around us, but we should do what we can 
to get ahead of that. There's plenty of technology that's coming through. AI, we could talk about a lot. That's a whole session in itself. The world is starting to change. So we've got to do our bit to get ahead of it. So I think if I was to really knot it down to three things, I couldn't not say about the hourly rate because that is the drum that I have been banging for a long time, right? There is no getting away from that. We have to move away from the hourly rate. We have to price the output, forget about the input. Actually, let's really talk about the right prices for the work that we are doing. Benefits being, if we agree that up front, we're going to pay it without questioning later on down the line. We can do away with line item reviews. It could be a much happier world for all of us. You bill, we pay. Who doesn't want that as a scenario to kind of work its way through? Data and data analysis would be the next key thing for me, I think, because that gives us insight into the way that we're working and allows us to think about how we can be improving things. And that's not just time for getting things done, but it's also the work that's actually being output. So the contracts that we're putting in place, doing that uh, ability to be able to digitally analyze and and digitize is is the other bit in there in in terms of being able to therefore more effectively legal risks, uh, explore the way in which we put contracts in place and think about how we can be more effective and more efficient around that. Where does the risk really sit? What are the things that we really should be negotiating and what should we be really focusing on, which then does just lend to the AI side of things as the third piece around that. I think we, I think, it's important that we get behind it and that we start to think about how we could be using it. But the the big important piece for me is let's learn the lessons from the past. And actually, this is probably more holistically, the third thing I'd say is we just need to collaborate more. We need to work out that we, if we come together on certain initiatives, we can share risk, we can share cost, and we can do things a hell of a lot quicker than we're doing it right now. We've typically not been great at doing that. Law firms aren't necessarily wants to throw their doors open, very conscious of competitive advantages. Um, some of their actually doing the work is not where the competitive advantage sits, which is where technology plays, where AI will start to come into play. It's about how you deliver that service that really differentiates. So therefore, be a bit more willing. And it is happening. I've seen it, and I've certainly had my own personal experience of being able to bring law firms together to collaborate. It's definitely working, but we need to do more of it. Fantastic answer to a pretty tough question, because I know I I threw you a bit of a curveball, though. I love a curveball. I love a curveball, Cynthia. So, Chris, I know, you know, I've seen you, there's a bit of celebrity surrounding you. You're a regular speaker (laughs) at the legal tech circuit. Well, yeah, to be fair, you know, I remember seeing you at Legal Legal Geek with this crowd and I thought, maybe I should go and ask for his, you know, his autograph or something. (laughs) It was just gossip. It was all hot gossip. There was nothing else, nothing else going on there. (laughs) You're in this sort of tech circuit. Tell me, what, what are some of the exciting advancements um, in legal tech that you think are going to have a significant impact? I know, you know, generative AI is bound to be at the top of the list, but other things as well. What what do you think is going to make the change? From what I've seen, and I've been in it a long time now, the bit that gets me excited is seeing we're in the kind of next generation of providers now, like all the startups are no longer quite startups. Those that have been in it a while have now been in it a bit longer. And we've all learned lessons in the past. But it's to that point of the connectivity and the collaboration. Where I get excited is when I'm starting to see technology that fully integrates with others that are in the market, we no longer have this situation where people are trying to 
lock, stock and two smoking barrels solve the legal industry problem. They're recognizing that they have got a solution for a part of it, but it is part of a bigger jigsaw puzzle. It's, uh, you know, we're building a, we've got a big Lego set here that we're kind of putting together and we need to have all of the pieces of that puzzle kind of come together. So everybody needs to work in a way that they can really easily plug and play with others. They can play nicely with others, but they can work seamlessly with others and be able to be part of, therefore, that data journey. You know, there is this process to legal. Everything that is legal has got a process. There's a workflow. There's a playbook. But not everybody is doing everything from front to back. But we're starting to see those that are working out where their piece of the puzzle is, who they plug into and how they make that work effectively or how they create a wrapper that goes around all of the technology to be able to deploy data. Because that's the most important thing, regardless of what solutions we put in place. If I'm able to get data out the other side and be able to make informed decisions around that or identify how well things are working or think about greater ways, more improved ways of working, I'm getting the answers that I, I need. So that's where, from a tech perspective, I get excited is seeing that starting to happen and seeing tech providers working nicely together and thinking about how they can interact and interoperate and how they should be plugging together. We've seen it on the, the fintech side of things, you know, APIs have, are off and running. Everybody works together seamlessly. We can get into each other's bank accounts. Well, not get into each other's bank accounts. And we can see <laughs> that's, that's a different tech. It's, you know, you can access all of your bank accounts from one bank account. You know, we're, we're able to, to share that information in a different way. So that's what gets me excited about tech and seeing those walls and barriers start to come down and finding some solutions to being able, you know, the data privacy problem, being able to access data, being able to deploy algorithms in different ways. That's, that's where I'm starting to get excited about from a tech perspective. Love that. Love that. So I was part of the project team two years ago when we rolled out Pursuit at HSBC. And I know that, you know, some of the conversations, a lot of the conversations revolved around return of return on investment demonstrating value, time to value. I'd love you to unpack a little bit for me just how you measure the ROI on the initiatives that you secure approval for. You know, when you get that investment, because I know you have to go through quite an arduous process to secure that investment. How do you then ensure that, you know, value is demonstrated? And look, that's a really good question because there is so much in there to unpack because I also don't think that historically we've been great at being able to identify what the return on investment is going to be at the outset. And we're also not good at going back and reevaluating that because everything goes back to this piece of everything is always deployed as a project. It's a here's a new solution. It's thrown into the mix and we're off and running with it. But we don't factor in that that's only going to be the right solution for so long or in its st that state that it will be the right solution. You know, we don't stick with the same iPhone all our lives. It wasn't iPhones that we started out with. You know, there's plenty of other things that were in that mix. And we need to change to that mindset of everything is a program. Everything's about continual improvement. And though, yes, you've got a new piece of technology today, I can guarantee it's going to look very different in another two years down the line. So with that as a kind of backdrop, it's important, therefore, that you are clear around that return on investment at the outset. So what is it that you are bringing on board? What is it that it's going to achieve? And when will that be achieved? So as you're doing something, for example, the likes of bringing Pursuit on board, we need to be really clear around what that will drive. Ultimately, we're wanting to see a 
cost control. We want to be able to see that we've got much more cost certainty in terms of the commercial arrangements that we're, we're putting in place. So how do we measure that? You know, what is it that, that we, and there's a number of different calculations. We use Pursuit to tender our matters. Therefore, we get a number of different pricing pricing options come through as part of the tendering process. How do we know what we would have paid or how do we know what that price could have looked like? So it's being able to clearly articulate up front that actually maybe what we want to drive is just an efficiency in terms of our lawyer's time. So, you know, that could be, and, and very much thinking about the pursuit piece in here is that could be a massive save. So that could be ROI enough to just say we've taken the admin burden off of our lawyers and been able to put this into a tool. You would probably, and I would suspect most would add onto that a financial piece in there so that we're seeing a cost reduction or at the very least a cost control because there's two ways that you can look at it. We just lose the scope creep that you typically see on matters as they start to run, but also we're comfortable that we're able to get ourselves comfortable that we are achieving the best possible rates that we can for those matters that are going out externally. It's not quite an exact science, but trying to work out what that could look. And, and look, there's things that like the insight stuff that you have on the pursuit tool at the moment, which lets you see where you're benching across the industry, across the broader industry as well. Everybody that's in the market, those are all important things that could start to be part of ROI. But that's that point of how how therefore do you make sure that you're future proofing yourself to in, in a large respect because i know from an in-house perspective you'll launch a tool and i've been around the block long enough to know that in five years time somebody else will come in or there'll be a question that comes from the cfo or your procurement team will come forward and say why are you using that tool i get that it was the right thing to do five years ago or in fact i don't care why it was the right thing to do five years ago because i wasn't here then but why are you using it now so you've got to then really be able to articulate again what you're doing from an roi perspective so what we do and what i started with my team is making sure that everything that we're involved in we're able to attach an roi to it so we're thinking about what the return on investment is from doing that piece of work that we're doing that could be deploying a legal project manager to one of our more significant matters that make sure that we're keeping a hold on those costs, which therefore comes out the other side, identifying where we either may have gone astray and we were able to control the budget or that we were really effectively able to deliver against the EFA that we put in place at the outset. Very similarly, we've got a pricing team in place at the moment as well. Great support from you, therefore, on that we're part of our concierge that is at the outset making sure that we're agreeing the right EFAs and we're putting the right arrangements in place. We're also doing retrospective reviews of those. So we're going back, looking at the pricing arrangements that we've put in place. Have they remained an EFA? Have they been the EFA that we put in place? If not, we renegotiate. We go back to the table and we're able to put saves in there. So it is that part of always being one clear at the outset as to what it is that you want to achieve and what you want to deliver that could be process improvement it could be increased data to be able to inform better decisions it could be around the pricing side of things and, and certainly you should always be thinking about the pricing side of things and and and, and value added from the financials but those give you your foundations but don't just accept that they're the right ones always go back and, and re-review again yeah yeah so uh, you've you've dealt a lot with tech vendors in your career, you know, in the time that you've done various roles as COO and in the work that you're doing now, I'd love to hear from you. What advice do you have for tech vendors in terms of what do you think they don't know about the purchaser that they possibly should and what sort of best practice, you know, what, what couple of things could people be thinking about? Oh, this is one of my favourite topics of conversation because I've seen the good, the bad and the ugly and yeah. 
and, and everything that's in between. The ones that I think work incredibly well are the ones where you're able to establish that relationship of trust. It's, it's all of, it all feels like dating, right? Everything kind of falls down to dating. We've all done it. Think about the relationships that have worked and the relationships that haven't. You know, the ones where you built up the trust, the ones where it was honesty, where you didn't overpromise, where you didn't underdeliver. Those are absolutely key. And that don't underestimate the power of being able to build, build that relationship at the outset and get that trust in place is, is very important. Not making assumptions and being clear around being able to stand by some of the information that's put forward. So particularly at those early stages when you're pitching, there's so many that come in and throw statistics at me about what they know or supposedly know about my organization. And you just, like, sometimes I get told stuff that I can't even find the information for. Like, we know what you're, we know what you're spending on X, Y, and Z. I'm like, I'd love to know how, because I don't. <laughs> and I get that there is some market information out there, but don't make it too wild, right? Except that there's stuff that you don't necessarily know. And think about why you're putting front and stuff in front of me. It's great that you're talking to me about all the features of the product and whatever it is that you're doing. But what does that really mean? for me as a buyer of those services you know it's lovely to hear the features but i don't always know exactly what it means for me and you can accelerate the conversation by putting that on the table quite quickly will we'll help to move things forward know your audience absolutely think about who it is that you're coming in to talk to and do your research beforehand and also identify when you're having those conversations is that the right person to be having the conversation with and you'll find a lot within the legal industry that you'll end up having a conversation with a lawyer who is very excited about the technology that you're putting in front of them. They have no access to the money that will support it. They have no ability to put it onto a kind of roadmap, a tech roadmap. They'll have all the best will in the world, and they absolutely will, but you could end up having a really prolonged conversation that doesn't necessarily get you anywhere. So always take that bit of time to make sure that you're identifying the right person to have the right conversation with. And this is probably the hardest one is, is I get that we've got to sell. Don't make it a hard sell. Don't be the car salesman. Be a solutions provider. And therefore, spend a bit of time with me to really identify what my problem is or make sure that we're articulating what we think the problem is in the same way. Because a lot of people miss that step. And then you get further on down the line and suddenly we're talking about two very different things. So again, it's that groundwork at the outset to really flesh out what the problem is and be that solution provider to me as opposed to being the hard seller. Yeah, yeah. Great advice. Super valuable. Let's talk legal ops. So for me, you know, legal ops is the thing that everybody's talking about. I almost feel like I missed a trick. I feel like I probably should. <laughs> if I could do it again, I'd do that. How do you, I, I, I find it fascinating when I'm talking to people who do the role that you do, because there is so much going on. You know, the pace of change within legal operations and what it actually means is just, it's constantly evolving. So how do you personally stay on top of all things legal ops. So do, are you listening to things? Are you attending things? Get 
you know, what are your, your best acts? Look, I think my my best thing, the thing that I get the most from is just getting out and talking to people and meeting people and establishing your peer group. Because there's lots of people that do these roles, but they don't all have the same titles. They're not always out there. We don't always have access to them. Sometimes it's lawyers doing it off the side of their desks. Sometimes it's, it is professionals that have come in with their operations hat on that have either got a legal background or don't have a legal background. Even more important, we bring in people from other industries and other walks of life to think about it. But it's get out and know, get to know those people. There's plenty of opportunities for a lot of law firms to do legal ops dinners. There's plenty in the likes of Clock and the O-Shaped Lawyer and um, everybody else that, that can bring communities together. It's taking advantage of all of those to meet the other people. Crafty Council's great in terms of the download of information that they have. Also, they've just done, I mean, oh, that's probably the last thing that I attended in some glorious sunshine. Crafty Fest, right? <laughs> it's fun exactly that who doesn't who doesn't want a crafty fest and we've got legal geek coming up in october you know it's it, it they are kind of great shows we've got a clock coming up as well but it's it is more about there's only so much you can get from presentations there's only so much you can get from doing workshops the the real value for me is having those conversations with the broader network getting to know them Linking in with them on LinkedIn, because that's probably where there's a lot of conversation going on. Who knows? We'll all move over to threads now that that's out and out and about. <laughs> let's start creating a, don't think you can hashtag on that yet, but let's get a legal hashtag going as soon as Mark Zuckerberg decides we're allowed to. But it is, it is maybe taking advantage of all of those. You will typically find us all being the first ones that do jump onto the new technology. There was a whole cohort, cohort of us that were all on Clubhouse when that all launched doing the, the live chats on there. I wonder why we, we still do bits of it. Because to get back onto that again i love that. the new place oh it's fun right it's, it's just great for that chat and be able to have that that converse and you never know who you're going to get which is a really nice thing to have so it is getting into those new technologies but more importantly i think you know there, there's plenty out there that are talking about um legal ops put information out about legal ops there's nothing beats just sitting down and having conversations and building that network i think um i've got I've met some of the most interesting people through doing the role that I do and through those networks. People that I could not now be without. They're my sounding boards. They're my, they're my champions. It's all of the above. We're kind of all in this very interesting space where it is growing. It is evolving. We kind of walk in not really knowing what we're doing, but we soon learn and we learn from each other. And we're also really good in terms of providing therapy for each other, but also kind of just sharing knowledge and best practice. What we also seem to do is create this whole thing around FOMO where we've just got this absolute fear that everybody's doing something else that we're not doing. Probably not. We're probably all having the same battle, but have that conversation. So, yeah, th there's nothing beats, particularly in the day and age that we're in now, is face to face conversations. I've seen, we've got a couple on TikTok. I've seen a couple of kind of legal ops TikToks, <laughs> but I'm just like, that makes me, it feels a bit weird. <laughs> oh, I, I need to check that out. No, I, I couldn't agree more. The power of a great conversation. I mean, this is why I love doing this podcast because for me you're, you're constantly learning just you know by virtue of the conversations that you're having so I've got two final questions um before I let you go um I'm nervous no no don't be nervous penultimate question um Chris, if you hadn't ended up doing this role doing what you do now what do you think you'd have done what would have been plan b with baby planning 
because I've kind of changed a lot. I've I've fallen into the right places at the right time. I always thought it was a legal career that I wanted and then decided I never wanted anything to do with a legal career, but have still never moved away from it. Yeah. I, I think I think I, yeah. It, I think we were kind of young before we were born before our time, Cynthia. Um, because there's a bit of me that if we'd have had access to all of the technology back then, I'd have been all over it, right? Absolutely all over it. I was always interested in it and and wanting to do more with it. Um, I would have loved to have had kind of some of the energy and the ideas that I had then um, now and be that age to be able to go out and do it. So there's a bit of me that does that. Failing that, I've always fancied being a pilot, and I'm kind of I'm 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 learning to fly now. <laughs> my oh, wow. my, my challenge is, <laughs> I'm absolutely terrified of heights. So it's, it's it's confront your fears, but who knows? Maybe that's what I'll be doing. I'll be doing a, a legal ops flying club in the years to come. But yeah, there's there's the two. Good stuff, Chris. Final question from me: What advice would you give twenty five year old Chris Grant? Oh, God. I mean, number one, I'd probably say to him, you don't need that last shot. Or in fact, you just don't need another shot. Um, and I think it's I think it's time you went home. The sun's just come back up again. Would probably be the first thing that I'd say to him. Um, but even there, then it would be a uh, don't. Uh, it's like, just keep on going, right? There is more that's going to happen. Trust your instincts. Don't second guess yourself. Um, and find... Spend more time finding more people like you because they exist. You know, I spent an awful lot of time feeling like I didn't quite fit in. Um, a bit of a misfit, right? Particularly within the within a law firm where I had a different energy, I had a different approach, I was willing to take a few risks, I was thinking about how we could do things in different ways. But you get to that point where you think this this must just be me. I'm in the wrong thing. I'm doing the wrong thing. And it's only over the years now as everybody's, all these misfits have kind of come out to this. And I'm putting you in this category, Cynthia, own it. (laughs) Hashtag misfit. (laughs) But we've all kind of come up to the surface, right? And found our ways and found each other. So it's it's that bit of kind of I guess don't don't give up but don't also feel like you're completely on your own. There's there's others out there. Just go out and find them. Awesome, thank you so much, Chris. It's been fantastic. I don't think I've laughed this much on a podcast before, but um, <laughs> I've, I've I've enjoyed our conversation immensely, oh, and I know that our, yeah, our audience is going to get a ton of value from all of the insights and experiences that you've shared today. So thank you so much for your time, Chris. Thank you, Cynthia. Really enjoyed it. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the show. For more, please subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please connect with me, Jim, the host of the show, via email, jim at pursuit, P-E-R-S-U-I-T dot com. We'd love to hear from you.